Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. By the way, speaking of first world problems, this is an incredible testimony which um, I have a couple of different news apps that I like to go and look at. I can't remember which one this one was on. Christian Post, maybe? I can't remember. But I read this testimony. And, you know, sometimes you're not sure, but it sounds like Jesus. You like, In other words, you're not sure that this kind of thing happened or where it came from or what the story behind it is. But this sounds to me like something Jesus would do. And it was on a reputable news uh, site. But in Nigeria... Have y'all heard about this, the kids in Nigeria? It's pretty cool. So in Nigeria, which Boko Haram, which is a very extreme Islamist um, group, terrorist, you know, they attack other areas, and it's just, you know, just really, really brutal behavior. And so the story is that there was a group of um, Muslims that had become Christians, you know, and this is happening all all over over there right now. Then there's there's revival happening everywhere. Yeah. We just look at America and we think we want the president to fix everything, and it's like no, Jesus is the one we need to be leaning to, right? Uh, hope I'll get there, but let me finish this testimony. So, and I don't know that I have all the details right, but it's going to be close enough. There was a group of about 500 of them that were together, and they were migrating, and they were you know doing what they were doing, trying to resettle because they have to leave their area when something like that happens, this specific area. And Boko Haram captured a little bit under 80 of them and instantly killed two male adults that were with this group. So it was like two male adults, four women, and about 72 children that were with this particular group. And, these, and they were caring for the kids. And, you know, can you imagine 72 kids and you're out in the middle of nowhere trying to take care of them? We're like, my two are enough, but anyway... So the Boko Haram leaders of this particular group told the women, either you renounce your faith in Christ or we're going to kill all these children tomorrow morning. And so they spent all night, you know, just wailing, just trying to, what should we do? What should we do? And where they were, the children came running in to the women and said, look, Jesus just appeared to us and told us everything's going to be okay. Don't renounce your faith. So these women go in, and <clears throat> the kids are lined up, almost under gunfire already. You know, it's just a, can you imagine the chaotic situation? I mean, you know, imagine if there were people over here with guns right now, and they're about to kill all of us if you don't renounce your faith. I mean, just think about that for a minute. This is the situation that they were in. And so the kids told these women, don't, don't renounce your faith. Jesus told us he's going to take care of us. It's going to be okay. So the day comes and, and the, the people with the guns, all of a sudden they start yelling, like screaming out snakes and they're, they're in pain and they drop their weapons and a couple of them fell over and some of them ran away. <clears throat> and one of the, there was another, I think another man had come at the time, picked up one of the dropped guns and one of the kids looked over and said, don't, you don't need to do that. Don't you see all the men dressed in white fighting these people? Wow. You know, I don't know that we see that type of stuff in America because we're not under such type of persecution. You know what I mean? <clears throat> like, uh, 
I don't think Jesus waits until the last minute to show up like that. But when there's just, I mean, that, you know, you, you hear it, people that are missionaries talk about in the U.S., we've got a lot of options. You know, we've got a whole bunch of options before we have to choose Jesus. In some places, that's all, he's all they got. I mean, it's life or death, you know, and the world is messed up. And so, you know, a story like that, it, it, it's like, man, it's almost unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, like, like I'm sure part of you is going, mm, I don't know about that. I've never seen anything like that. Well, it's in the Bible, right? Like, like, do you doubt that God would do that? You know, that's the thing. And, and I think that is where the church has gone wrong, is we have made following Jesus about details, doctrine, and behavior rather than just fully embracing who this person is, the person of Jesus expressed from God, right? Because, I mean, that's really how we transform. That's how we repent as we believe who He is. We follow Him. We become sold out completely to Him. Completely. And, and, and you know, where, where I am right now, I'm kind of processing, you know, obviously we're still processing through the loss of mom, you know, and, and, and there's bits that keep getting unpacked, you know. Now, now I'm thinking about both parents are gone, which dad passed in 2014. And it's a, it's a strange place to be in the world with no parents and no real close family other than your immediate family, right, other than you guys as well. And to me... That's, that's part of my transition is gaining even more value for community because this is family. You know, you understand where Jesus is like, hey, your mom's outside, and he's like, what, what are you talking about? You guys are my family. You know, I mean, can you imagine him saying something like that? But, but I, I do understand that. And so, you know, I love, I love you guys. You know, I don't, I don't mean to go into that type of thing. Somebody's texting me. Oh, yeah, I was going to mention her. Hey, will you do the share thing? Um, but... So you kind of just, you, I know everybody's been journeying with us and our family, and I, I feel like we're moving, I'm kind of moving back toward finding some, some rails to run on, some tracks to run on that, that are sequential and, and you know, kind of more collective for us to dig down and study in, but I know that you guys are processing with us, and, and you know, it, it's not like we sit around depressed and wringing our hands and wondering why. Uh, in fact, you know, I was thinking about that. I never once asked why in this process. I know why. The world is messed up. God doesn't have anything to do with cancer other than having given the planet to us. I was thinking about that. We, actually, in this passage here in, in Psalm, I'll probably jump around a little bit. Uh, Philip, follow me, though, if you would. In Psalm 115, you know, this passage explains so much, and it's difficult for people to wrap their minds around, specifically if they've come out of a particular doctrinal, systematic perspective. It's just difficult. And I don't mean to slam doctrinal perspectives. We need to know the Bible, right? Amen? But you read something like this, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth He has given to mankind. To me, that answers so many questions. So, so, so many questions, right? I mean, God is sovereign. He is the supreme being. Ultimately, in His heavens, what He has declared, everything will turn out the way exactly He has planned it to. But in the meantime, the earth is ours, and things aren't necessarily happening the way that He wants them to. Do you think for a second God wants people to die suffering of cancer and be homeless and hungry and depressed? 
God, I mean, He didn't put that in the garden. That is not at all what God wants for mankind in the big picture. But people, for some reason, like pluck it down and, and, and you, keep, you hear it constantly. Well, we don't understand now, but it'll all make sense one day. Really? Have you ever watched someone be tortured or like, like actual under persecution? Really? You think that's God's plan? God's plan is to get the gospel out so we can break free from all that stuff. So you can pull that down. So this is, this is kind of where I'm going and where I'm processing through, and that's just holding on to the gospel. You know, I, I don't doubt what God wants for us, but you lose confidence, right? I'm just, I'll just be honest. You don't doubt who God is, but you doubt that you can connect to who He is. You doubt that you can experience everything that he died to give you, right? So you don't doubt him, right? You doubt, oh, I'm just not sure I'm in a place where I can really walk in that right now, you know? If you've ever been there, if you know what I'm talking about, if you're willing to take responsibility for your life, and if you're willing to actually believe that he says all his promises are yes and amen, he prayed your will be done on heaven as it is in earth. It's either him or us, Right? You probably agree because you're sitting in these chairs. I mean, I realize that. People watching online are like just clicked on watching. I don't know about this. Well, keep listening. So drilling down, and, and we always stand on the gospel. We always stand on the good news. But this is where I was thinking about this week and, and in the weeks to come, looking at what faith is, looking at his faithfulness, looking at our faith, what is faith. Ultimately, this is what faith is. God says, I am, and you say, I agree. That's faith. That's his faithfulness and you responding to who he is. Not God saying, here's a carrot, and if you do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, then you might get the carrot, and if you get your faith right, you figure out what those steps are to get to the carrot. That's not faith. That's religious junk, right? That, that's, that is performance-centered blessing, reward, something. I don't know. I just made that up. <laughs> right? But God says, I am. I am. But do you know who He is? What He has said He is? Right? Who He actually is. So, and Travis and I were talking about it, and, and this is where we're going over the next couple of weeks. You know, faith is not something you have to work up. Faith is not... It's, it's not even a thing that you do to make God respond to you. It, it's appreciating the beauty of who God is. And the more that you behold Him, the more that you become like Him and you experience life in that type of relationship and interaction. The more you see Him, the more you are transformed. I mean, that is what we are predestined. You talk about predestination. What we are predestined is to be conformed to the image of Christ, of His dear Son, right? You're not going to be the Messiah. But that, that's, that is what is happening within you right now. You are being shifted bit by bit, you know, to, be, to look just like Him, ultimately, eternally. And it's not through you getting your behavior correct. It's through you yielding to... Just like Jesus. Jesus learned obedience... Jesus in that garden, and I preached on it a couple of weeks ago. He's like, I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to that cross. Lord, is, is there any, Father, is there any other way that we can do this? 
And then he finally comes to the realization, no, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I mean, can you imagine? You know, he resisted temptation to the degree that his flesh bled. Go back and listen to that message a couple of weeks ago. It's, it's, that's probably one of the most powerful aspects of Christ and then what he experienced in the grave that compelled him out to trust God. But, you know, faith is not you getting it right. Faith is you seeing God clearly. Faith isn't when you figure out what you're supposed to do. It's when you don't have anything else that clouds you from seeing the truth of who God really is. Because He's life-giving. And as you see Him, you experience those, those facets of Him. That is how it works. It's not, it's not physics in the sense of cause and effect. Like you make Him respond to you. That's not how it is. It's a growth aspect where you, you're beholding the sun and you are enriched. And then you look down and you're like, whoa, look what happened here, you know. And uh, we see it happening and then we doubt it's actually really happening. I've been thinking about Kanye a lot. I don't know why. But it's just, I think probably it's because when I was over at Mom's and, you know, all those sleepless nights, YouTube ends up being your friend. And I watched a bunch of interviews and videos with him, you know. I mean, here's a guy who goes from, I mean, like, so here's Kanye, right? Do you know who Kanye West is? Is there anybody that does not know who Kanye West is? Like, be honest, raise your hand. He's a rapper. You don't know. You know who he is. Oh, you don't? Okay, well, he's a rapper. You don't watch that mess. You don't like it. Okay, that's fine. Uh, so he's a, he's a rapper, kind of came from nothing, been successful for a very long time, and he's making waves because he is hardcore living his life for Jesus now. Maybe. Some say. I, I think he's legit. But anyway, look, I got a, like a rapper word in there. But like his last tour, he had a mountain that would tour, that he brought on tour. And he would stand on top of this mountain at the end of his concert. And it looked like a worship session, like they were worshiping him. And he, he says this, so, his, so he goes, so he's Kanye, Yay, Yeezy, he's got all these, you know, names, but like he's got a brand called Yeezy. I mean, a black man started a company from nothing and it's worth like one and a half billion dollars. I love to see that. You know, it brings hope. And he's talking about certain issues that are, that are just good for, not even, not even spiritually, but just good culturally. And that's kind of where I'm going with this today. I do have a point. If, if I showed you my notes, I'm actually going where I plan to go, so just hang with me. But um, so he's on this mountain, and it looks like they're worshiping him. And he, he self-admittedly says, I believed that I was a god. And so he felt like, because he, he kind of was proclaimed of himself to be the greatest artist ever, I'm thinking, well, there's Da Vinci and Michelangelo and, you know, God. But anyway, um, because of his influence on culture. Now, think about this. This is why he thought he was a God, because he, would, he saw his influence on culture. He saw his influence on music. He saw his influence on media. He saw his influence on fashion. And in his world, that was everything. And so therefore, he's got so much power to say something and come up with something and it ripples through culture, I'm a god. You know, that, that ultimately is where he got to. 
And he didn't really have some fault. I mean, like he said like a year ago, he was directing porn awards. I guess there's like an award show for that field. He went from directing that to doing what he's doing now, right? So what he's doing, and it started, I don't know how long ago, over a little bit over a year ago, you started seeing on social media little clips of him in the middle of a big uh, gospel choir, and they're, they're just doing you know, incredible music. And so it started dripping out. Now we've seen it. This, this record comes out, right? And it's called Jesus is King. And I, I listened to him talk about why he named it that. And he said, they, you know, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus is Lord, all these different things. But they settled on Jesus as King because he knew, he understood his impact on culture. And he, in proper perspective now, but he knew that because when he came out and started doing this, the culture would respond and people all over would be saying Jesus is King. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that that means anything. It does for a lot of people. But what it does is it starts creating conversation. And it starts opening doors, and it start. And if you watch the ripple effect of a lot of what he's done, there are left. No, I don't want to go there with it, but there are areas of culture talking about Jesus that wouldn't normally talk about Jesus, because one guy. And and it, and it, you know, the record. I mean, it's it's okay. It's not even all that great, in my opinion, but. But the fact is, here's a guy that understands influence, understands what he's doing, understands how... Now, you know, he's made billions of dollars, so he understands marketing, he understands all that. And I'm sure some of that was done in, in a particular way to, to get the best impact and, you know, make the biggest waves and all that. But in listening to him, if you're going to listen to people in love, you know, uh, believes the best... That's what you got to do. And he's sitting there saying he's doing it because, so, so like, for instance, and in this kind of world where you're not supposed to impose things on people, one of these interviewers said, well, it kind of, it kind of seems like from these lyrics and some of the things that you're saying, it kind of seems like that your goal is to convert people. He said, that's my only goal. <laughs> I want people to say Jesus is king and mean it, you know. And he's just so bold about it. And, and it's like they're trying to catch him and get him to, to, to walk it back, right? Because that's what a lot of people do. A lot of Christians, popular culture, walk back their faith. They'll walk, well, I'm a believer, but it's fine for you to believe whatever you want to believe. Well, no, it's not. You might spend eternity without God because of what you believe. You know, and so there's this, so then you lose a certain sec. Do you really, do you, I don't know if you know this, but there is a pretty large section of Christianity that looks down on evangelicalism. In other words, looks down on going into the world and trying to bring people to the faith because they believe that, well, God does all that part. We just, we'll focus on ourselves, let God take care of the rest. Uh, then why did he say go into the world? Go proclaim the gospel. I'm blowing bubbles up here. I mean, go into the world, make disciples of all nations, right? So making disciples, yes, but he said go preach the gospel. And this is, it's got me a little bit excited again for evangelism. And so, you know, in 2020, I've kind of been feeling, I've, we've, as a staff, have been praying for a little while that the evangelists in this particular church would rise up. 
but evangelism from a finished work perspective. Evangelism from the perspective that leads with love, you know, sees the person rather than a notch on the belt, or, uh, you know, kind of taking away the idea of that prophetic evangelistic perspective where it's about you getting a word right for someone, you know, kind of letting go with that. If you lead with love and you truly want this person to encounter God in their heart, you're going to get words for them. You're going to know when to pray for them. You're going to, you're, all that stuff just comes. But if you lead with the power, it's always about you. And you, your perspective of who you are and who God is changes depending on the results. Well, the results never change when you preach the gospel. A seed is planted, right? And the gospel will produce. That word will not come back void. God will continue. I love the lyric in that song. When you don't see it, He's working. When you don't feel it, He's working. Amen? Amen. But then you throw back to Psalm 115, and it's like, okay, well, I've believed, but then this happened, and we've all experienced some kind of loss, some worse than others. And you question, well, okay, now why? Now why? Now, so, you, so then what happens is, we end, and I can see how this could happen, you end up sitting in your loss, reasoning based on the emotion, rather than realizing this is not God's intention. It hurts. I don't want this in my life. Some things I don't understand. I'd like to understand a little bit more clearly. But I'm moving on because what I know what God wants is heaven on earth. Ultimately, that's where I'm putting my mind to. That's repentance. True repentance is letting go of your experience and your beliefs and your behaviors and adopting what He says is, your, is true and what is His reality. What is it that he says is possible right now? So that, that's, that, you know, so I think about that, right? We think as Christians, the world is lost. Now, you might not think that, but I wasn't really raised in church, and, but, but when I did start going, you know, started watching Christian TV and reading different books, I, you know, like everybody else does when you get saved, you read all the end time books, right? It's like, what's going to happen? The rapture's next Tuesday. I just know it. And you start telling everybody and you hammer everybody and they got to see it your way. And then you're like, wait a minute. You know, did you, do you realize it does not matter at all what you believe about the rapture? I'll just throw that in there anyway. Yeah. Uh, what matters is what you believe about Jesus and carrying that into the world, right? So these ideas about culture, because I'm watching the ripple effects. And so you see some of these interviews also, or some of these people talking about Kanye. And, you know, the Christians are doubting his salvation. That's a little unfair, some of them. But then you look at, like, some of this, these media perspectives that are, like, places that you would never expect to be talking about Jesus. And they're, what they're doing is they're talking about how he's not cussing anymore. So, so here's, here's what... Okay, so the culture that he had influence over was music, fashion, and... What was the other one I said? Media, yeah, just how media is done in general, yeah. Which then 
has progressed into other things, which it'll be interesting to watch. And, and I pray for him. I pray that he doesn't backslide. I pray that he doesn't fall. I pray that he doesn't get into some kind of goofy theology. I pray that he continues to grow and matures and develops. And I'm actually praying that now. I pray that people are surrounding him, that will, that will help him and Amen. disciple him, you know. And it seems like he's submitting to leadership and all that kind of stuff. And you know what I mean by submit, but like working with. So I pray that it works out for him. But so, but what they're talking about, it's surface, but it's getting their hearts open. So these places like, uh, like fashion interviews, and if you know how YouTube works, you watch one interview and it starts serving up things. To, you know, YouTube is designed to keep you watching videos. And sometimes it will bring you some good things up. But anyway, um, Fashion, music, all these different cultural things that have nothing to do with politics, nothing to do with economy, nothing to do with religion, are talking about things like this. Well, there are no cuss words on this record. So in other words, he's not blaspheming God, degrading women, and just using foul language. That is godly fruit, right? Now, those should be fruits of true conversion rather than I need to stop cussing. I sure do feel bad when I use those words. You know what I mean? Like there's a difference. There's a paradox, but that's what they're talking about. They're also talking about this. Do you know who his wife is? Kim Kardashian. Like I've never watched that show, but you see images that she's put out of herself. They're having, and it's interesting, they're having open public conversations about her influence on culture. They have kids now, right? He is concerned with how she uh, is portraying herself to the world and being an example to their children. So now they're having public conversations about dressing more discreetly, about being a better representation, about honoring the temple of God, right? That's how it's affecting. You get people talking in those kinds. I mean, you know, Paul said, I've become all things to all people that I might win some. I'm under no illusion that because of Kanye's efforts that it's going to create some, you know, mega thing. But what if there were a thousand of him? I mean, think about it. What if there were a thousand Kanye's affecting their respective fields? Because you think about politicians and they walk back their faith. Well, you know, this and for, for those of us that are evangelical, those of us that, and those of us, but, and it's like they're playing politics. And a lot of us are playing politics. We don't want to offend. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And there, there is that paradox of leading with love, not being judgmental, but not compromising on the truth either. Not compromising on what God says is godly living. And ditching profane language, you know, not dressing provocatively, honoring, you know, teaching your children to honor your their parents, like for instance, I think when his daughter was two, I don't know what this, I guess it's a, I guess a slip is like an undergarment. He was parading his like two-year-old daughter around in like a slip dress, he called it. And then he realized, you know, I'm serving her up to the enemy. I'm training her to be this way. And so now he's bringing her back around. I think she's like five now and she's dressing more conservatively. And, 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 and so the, Fashion world is talking about more conservative dressing 
because you are honoring yourself because you belong to God. That's a, to me, that is a big deal. Because what it does is it creates the conversation. It creates momentum. It opens doors. It gets people thinking. Ultimately, you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. How will they hear if there's no preacher sense? So, so the, the language that he specifically is using in some areas is the language that they, those particular groups use, fashion, music, media, stuff like that. Then they go a little bit deeper and listen to the gospel. You know, and, and, and I love that that's his focus. His focus is not, let's get them all healed. Let's do this or that. It's Jesus. Let's tell them who Jesus is. And everything else is a fruit of that. And, and, and it brings me back around to where we are as a church, right? We're not going anywhere. Like, people come, people go. Sometimes there's a lot of people here. Sometimes there's not that many people here. Just so you know, that doesn't affect me at all. Hasn't from the beginning. Even if we go to a place where we go back to my living room, I don't really care because it, one person is having this type of impact. Twelve people that follow Jesus have that type of impact. How many, what kind of an impact can this many people? And as it continues to grow, right? Numbers don't, don't, don't matter to me. Hearts do. And I hear your stories about your hearts grasping this gospel grasping the power of the Spirit of God within you and changing things. And it's okay if it starts with language and dress and what you drink and what you watch and all that kind of stuff because those are all just things that, that, that reflect a deeper happening. So to me, the fact that they are that culture in general, popular culture in the U.S. in general is talking about whether or not children should dress conservatively or not, that's a fruit of a deeper issue that's going on. You know, now next week when the news cycle changes, something else will come along. But 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 it's there. The seed is planted, and it's going to continue. And that and and I pray God He continues. And then somebody else that comes along, and then somebody else. Now think about this: What if our president was talking as radically about Jesus as Kanye is? They'd hate him even more. But no compromise, right? Whatever you believe about him, I don't really care. But what if? So, so one of my goals for this message today was to try to get you to actually have hope that the church can be effective in this world. Because a lot, and I think I was going to make this point, and I jumped around, but when I first started coming into church, I recognized, well, the church pretty much has given up hope on making an impact in the world. The church pretty much thinks that it's going to get darker and darker, and you know the boogeyman's going to come and enslave us all, and the church is going to cower in the corner, and Jesus has got to come and save us. And, you know, some of y'all came out of hardcore legalism that taught you stack up your corn because it's coming, you know. And, and I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but whatever happens, Jesus wins. Amen. You like that one, stack up your corn. I mean, there are people that have that were so convinced because their leader led them in this way uh, to take out loans, run up your credit cards, be incredibly irresponsible with money because it won't matter. You're taking advantage of the world system and using their money to stockpile your goods because the rapture's coming and we won't have to pay it back anyway. Like, that, like, like that's actually happened in mass in some places. And those people are suffering now 
because it didn't happen the way they thought it was going to happen, right? But so, so I was thinking about that. What if people in different aspects of culture did that? So kind of twofold, big picture, I want us to think about that, and then personal as well. Where are you with that? Where, where are you with the, the reality that we are all to be doing the work of the evangelist? Because some people are like, well, I'm an intercessor, so I'm just going to sit over here and pray. Okay, well, but you also are tasked to do the work of an evangelist, whatever that looks like for you. But, so this is kind of what I want to think about and talk about and look. And it's not a church growth strategy. It, it's really not. I think it's, it's, it's more so let's get the gospel out there. Because I think we have a pretty good handle on the gospel. I hear people all the time come in to this place and they're like, you know, I've been going to church for 35 years and I've never heard it like this. I've never heard the gospel this clearly before. That's probably because I didn't grow up in church and it was the first thing that I encountered and I didn't have all that junk on top of it. And so it's just like all gospel all the time. But the fruits of it come out of it as well. But I, I want to go back to Isaiah. And, you know, Isaiah was interesting. Isaiah lived uh, 700 years or so before Jesus. And, you know, Isaiah is probably the prophet that the most prophesies, well, he is, about the Messiah, about Jesus. And so there are certain sections of the world that will say that Isaiah 1 through 39 was the inspired Word of God, but everything else after that was added on, mostly because it nails the, the storyline of the Messiah so clearly and directly, and they don't like that part. Like, that was added later. Well, I don't know about that. So, um, but Isaiah had these prophecies that didn't even come true, didn't even come to pass until like a hundred years after he passed away. And, and so he is prophesying to a nation. You know, Israel, so going back, God picked Abraham, right? From you, I will bless the entire world. In two ways, his offspring would be a blessing to the world, but also the Messiah would come through his bloodline. Now, that got messed up so many different times, and Israel would walk away and come back and walk away and come back. And a lot of what you see God doing in relation to the nation of Israel, He wasn't doing with all these other cultures on the planet. And there were other cultures, some of them evil and wicked, but like the Chinese culture over, you know, almost just completely separate from this. You, you start looking in their history and Asian culture in general, while there were false gods also in that, there wasn't this interaction of judgment and leading and judgment and leading. That was because God had entered into a covenant with the nation of Israel, the offspring of the children of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and, and, and He was keeping His covenant promises and protecting them, and that's what a lot of that judgment stuff was. But we look at His interactions with Israel and superimpose that onto the entire world and then bring it into the now, and it's like, first off, you don't understand covenant. God, a lot of that stuff that God was doing was they, they dr Israel dragged God into situations where He had to protect them and bring judgment, whereas he, would, he told them, don't go this way, don't go this way, walk this way, come this way, live this way, do this. But they didn't, and so He had to protect them. So Isaiah is in the middle of one of these periods of time where they've turned away from God. Isaiah is prophesying that 
Assyria and Babylonia will be used by God to bring judgment to the nation of Israel, but will ultimately return in them coming back and through the nation of Israel. Like, there, if you read Isaiah, it will mess with your eschatology. I'm telling you. Isaiah basically paints the picture that once the Messiah is in the earth, through him, such growth will happen that ultimately all the nations of the earth will come into unity under the Messiah. That's pretty radical, a different than a, what a lot of us have been taught. Now, I don't take his stance, you know, if you've been here for very long, you know that I don't, I don't necessarily teach on eschatology. I believe that the kingdom is here and it will continue to grow. There may be things that happen in the meantime, but ultimately Jesus wins, right? So whatever happens is going to happen. But Isaiah prophesies from a perspective that once the Messiah is in the earth, and it's, it's consistent with the prophecies of Daniel, of uh, you know that stone that comes in that smashes the kingdom of the earth, it will continue to grow. Now whatever that looks like, I'm not sure, but the kingdom has been brought and it is growing and it will continue to grow. And I expect that there is still hope for the church to make a difference in this world. Because ultimately it's through the church, which are the children of Abraham, God's promised people that will be priests to the world. Man, I just covered a lot of ground there, didn't I? Okay. Did it make sense? So Isaiah is in this time where it looks like there's no hope for Israel. They've turned away again and it's before it's before it even gets worse. Assyria, Babylon coming in, bringing judgment, just almost decimating Israel. So he prophesies these things. But there's good news. And that's my point that I'm going to with this. Ultimately, Isaiah brings a message. There is good news coming. And you can have hope. You can expect that God has plans through His people to make a difference in the earth. That's really the simplest message you can take out of this. So let's look at this passage here. Isaiah 52, starting in 3. Uh, for thus says the Lord, You have sold yourselves for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord, My people went down at first into Egypt to dwell there. Then the Assyrian oppressed them without, call, without cause. Now therefore, what have I here, says the Lord, that my people are taken away for nothing? Those who rule over them make them well, says the Lord, and my name is blasphemed continually every day. Kind of sounds like now. Therefore, my people shall know my name. And we read this, and I don't know, like, like if you were in a if you were in a godless nation, and a nation that was like serving false gods and idols, and there was no freedom, and there was no democracy and you were under oppression, and most of the people were starving, and most of the people were dying of, you know, cavities in their mouth, you know? I mean, it's like not the American dream happening. It's dark. A little bit of hope goes a long way. And, and they believed that ultimately, and so what, what Isaiah is doing is appearing and reminding Israel, God will keep His covenant promises. Because from the very beginning, there were promises made associated with that covenant. We are under a new covenant now based on better promises, but I'm not even really going to go into that right now. But it, it was a big deal for them. I want it to be a big deal for us that we can have hope that this good news that he's about to mention can make a difference. 
It makes a difference in our lives personally, and I think a lot of times that's where Christians are. It's like, you know, I'm going to experience some transformation. I'm going to make sure my kids are okay. I'm going to talk to whoever I can. But beyond that, they're on their own. I think a lot of us have that perspective, uh, and, and I want to challenge that. So I have a thing we're going to do at the end. But So, therefore, they shall, they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. How beautiful upon the mountains are the... Now, just so you know, he's talking about the servant that will come, that is the, you know, the lineage of David, the, the Messiah. This is what he's talking about. When he comes, these, that's the time that he's talking about. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. And that's what gospel means, good news. In fact, it's a word used in Greek that is used in the context of it's almost too good to be true, but it's true. Like it's a word that's not used that much. So how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaim peace. Peace specifically, as Romans says, that we have peace with God. God has made peace with us. Peace on earth, goodwill toward man. Not necessarily among man. That part is coming, but toward man. There's peace with God. The Israelites didn't know peace with God. They knew law and judgment. They knew your sins are going to be held against you, so therefore live a certain way, and if you don't live that way, take the right sacrifice down and offer that sacrifice, but you're always continually reminded of your sin. It's never removed. It's only temporarily atoned for. Not so for us. It's completely eradicated in Christ. We don't, we take, we, uh, we, we take it for granted that we have peace with God because we don't know what it's like to not be at peace with God. And, and I'm not just talking about believers. I'm talking about the world. Just go read what happened to the Israelites when they wouldn't follow God. That's not the type of covenant we're in any longer. Uh, so, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, the church, your God reigns. And then we'll skip to the Romans passage. This is kind of, you know, I, don't, I, I, can, feel, I can feel a tug of where we're going and it's centered around this. We might even just walk through Romans for a while. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Right? That's the question. To me, that is what drives evangelism. And evangelism ultimately is just sharing the gospel. Sharing that there's good news. Sharing who this Jesus is. And you share it best out of your own experience. Like if it's just information, well, well I know this is true, but you know. And, and this is what you have in a lot of Christianity. You have a lot of professors, a lot of people. A lot of people approach the Bible as an academic book. And it's like, let's just get the knowledge right. Let's get the information right. Let's make sure we get all the details right. Because that's really all we have. All that emotionalism stuff, I forget about that. But do right. I, I, don't, I don't understand. It's a relationship. We are humans. We are by nature emotional, <laughs> relational beings. We are not robots 
just driving on information. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation for who? Who believes? For the Jew first and also for the Greek. Go back if you would. Little detail. It could say for the elect and also for the Greek. The Jews or the elect. There is an exegetical process that you can walk through and look. The Jews were the chosen people. Those were the ones that God chose ahead of time to reveal Himself in this earth through. He even says it in Romans. You see clues all through Romans over into 9 and 10 and 11 where ultimately it gets to the point where He defines the chosen as the Jews. God chose them, but now it's available to all. What is that like, Sermon 7b? I'm not ashamed. It is so so here's the question. Let me yeah, so here's the question that I have. Do you believe that telling someone the gospel is powerful in their lives? Or do you need to add something to it? Or do you need to explain something in relation to your experience? Or do you need to make sure that they understand something? Or can you just give them the gospel? So we'll probably talk a little bit more about what the gospel is in detail too. It's powerful because it's a seed. And that's what Paul, that's what Jesus teaches. He says, look, you know, the, the, this is the greatest parable. This is, this is the most significant parable that I can teach. And if you don't understand this one, you're not going to understand most of what I teach. And then he talks about the parable of the seed. People call it the parable of the sower, but really it's the parable of the seed. The emphasis is not on the sower, it's on the seed. Do you believe? That was very preacher-esque, wasn't it? Do you believe that the gospel is powerful? Like, do you really? Or do you throw a little bit of your own experience on top of it? Well, I don't know. It's not working for me here, so I can't really. I don't want to be a hypocrite. It's not working for me. I can't go talking about it here. Or in it, and, and I mean, you know, if you could sum it up, this is it. In it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, not from works to faith, not from obedience to works to progressive sanctification to faith, but from faith to faith. In other words, it starts with faith, it continues with faith. Your righteousness is dependent upon faith. Faith what? In Him. In Him as your righteousness. It's so basic. It's so simple. It's so biblical. We want to move on past it. But, but people don't know. They don't know it. In it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Not those who are progressively being justified. The just. Say, I'm just. I am justified. Man, there's so many little exercises we could do. Just Let me, let me do this one. I'm going to ask you to say something, and then after you say it, I want you to notice your first thought after it. Ready? So I want you to say, I am righteous 
Now, what's your first thought? That tells you what you believe in some cases. Amen. You know, it might be the waffles talking this morning. I don't know. It might be like. That's a technique, you know what I mean? You can't make a doctrine out of that, but you can commune with your own heart and find out what you really believe about things. There's wisdom in there. There, there, there is deep wisdom within there that can be drawn out because God has put it in there. The gospel. I mean, really, at the end of the day, it's what we have to hold on to. The fact that God loved us. God so loved us that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe on Him would not perish but have everlasting life. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world but to save the world. That's the picture. That's the big picture. And, and, and so then, rather than just letting that message be powerful, we walk it back because of a lack of confidence, because of our experiences, or we pepper in and water down God's laser-focused will of you only experiencing heaven with our experience. Either way, we're walking it back with our experience, right? And, and, and a lot of us have very difficult experiences. I mean, it's amazing that some of us continue on after some of the things that we've been through. But that just shows the power of God. Right? It shows the power of you just trusting. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe there's going to be some moving on in this series. Uh, there's going to be some just anchor points in what the gospel is. There's going to be some discussion about that God is faithful. What is our responsibility of faith? And then what does evangelism look like for you? You know, and, 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 you know, this is where churches get crafty, and maybe we should get better at this type of thing. I don't know, but they have these prepared things. <laughs> Give five of these away this week and come back. You know, maybe we'll do that. I don't know. Y'all want to do that? Yeah. Would you feel, would that feel like authentic or would that, some of you, it'd be all right, some of you. You know what I'm talking about, right? You ever been a part of those things? It's like, they have a staff meeting about how they can grow the church and they talk about evangelism. That's not what we've done. I actually just want to get the gospel out there. Right? And I'll be honest with you about what we talk about in the staff meeting. And if it will help you to have something in your hand to pass it out, to break the ice, we'll do that, right? But, but that's, that's, that's what I want you to think about over this upcoming week. What does it look? I mean, it's a great time, you know? Jesus is the reason for the season. The whole world is about to focus on Jesus because Christmas is coming. Use it as an opportunity, right, for the gospel. You don't have to argue. You don't have to convince somebody else that God didn't bring cancer. You know, you let the Holy Spirit take care of that kind of stuff. You just preach the good news because there's a lot of people that have not heard. I think about my own story. You know, as a teenager in high school, not really been to church, never read the Bible, didn't know what Jesus was about, heard the gospel after meeting Jesus, and because of my encounter with him and how loving and kind and merciful he was, was able to receive the gospel from that perspective. There are people out there that don't know. There are people in my family. I've written, like I wrote a book about my experience. And one of my family members read it and was like, you know, I just never really understood what Jesus was about until I read that book. And now I get it. 
and probably got born again from reading that and understanding it. There are people in your family, there are people that you run across that don't know why he did what he did, ultimately because he loves them. What they know is how Christians have impacted culture or how Christians represent God. And that's where it goes back to somebody like a Kanye, you know. So think about evangelism, and, I, and, and I'm going I'm, I'm to make a commitment to get, kind of, to get better at reminding you of the homework that I give out. I will, I'll put it in, a, in the email, and we'll probably post it up on the Facebook group too. I would like to use that Facebook group for the church and those people that are watching online. If you're not in it, jump in there. Um, you know, this, this church extends... It's pretty interesting all over the world, and there are people that consider us their church, me their pastor, and I interact with them. But I want to use that group as you know, kind of a discipleship thing, but I want to post that homework up in there. And I will ask you to be interactive in there as well because your insight is valuable. Some of y'all are gold mines that have been untapped, that you don't want to stand up here, and I get that. There are times that you will and sometimes that you won't, but you can interact in a setting like that. Or go to one of our life groups and let that be mined out of you, you know. Um, I know the holidays are coming, Christmas is coming, everybody's schedules are crazy, so we're kind of looking forward into 2020, you know, 2020 vision. I don't know, I'm sure everybody in the world is going to use 2020 vision for 2020, you know, perfect. I'm sure it is. I'm sure, you know, everybody's going to use it, but why not, you know. But so, so that, that idea, what does evangelism look like for you in a real way? What are you willing to do and not do? I just want you to start thinking about it. Maybe talk about it, you know, with the people that you come to church with or even in your family. But then also this big picture thing about impacting culture. Government, oh, this was, this was another thing I was thinking about. Now, I don't want to hurt your feelings if you're like, if you love if you're like, you know, if, if Mr. Trump can do no wrong in your eyes, you're probably not going to like what I'm about to say. Predominantly, anyone. So, and I'm not judging his heart. I'm only going to say what I heard him say, right? He himself openly said about Christians, you guys don't know how powerful you are in this nation. Now, on one level, he's talking about a voting block that if they got together would change government. And I have no doubt that in some way there was some campaigning to that group because of recognizing that. That's fine. That's not unethical. Now, that doesn't judge the guy's heart. I pray that he really is a believer. I pray that him bringing in all these pastors and all these... And, and making a public display of all these pastors coming in and laying hands on him. I pray that's genuine. There are people that look at it and say, well, because he understands how large of a voting block evangelical Christians are, of course he would do that because it wins him points. I, I'm not going to make that judgment. I'm just going to say, praise God, it's happening. All those leaders and pastors, whatever, are going in there and doing it because in some way it's going to come. And, and then you think about Jesus who uh, said about the one guy that was out there doing the stuff that he hadn't really tapped. He said, look, if they're not against me, they're for me. So that, to me, that's a, a, it's a realistic perspective. Is looking at it at face value. He understands that thread in the culture. 
Let's not assign things to him as if he's some resurrected king that's going to build some kind of wall that had to do with the prophecy that was fulfilled 500 years ago or 2,500 years ago. You know what I mean? It's like, whatever. I mean, you know, if that's where you are, I'm not trying to make fun of that. That's just not where God's talking to me about it. We're talking about under the new covenant, Jesus establishing his kingdom. Amen. But... uh, the big picture would be this, and, and this is kind of what I want you to walk out of here thinking and, and expecting, and it might be you, but it might be you praying for someone that God uses in that way, like Kanye. What if the president became so vocal for Jesus like Kanye? So let's do this little exercise. Think of popular people in culture in this country or even in the world. Like, who are some of the most, like, so, so, like, Kanye right now, absolute number one artist in music. He's breaking, smashing all kind of records. He's got the top 10, num, top 10 songs in the charts right now. With the whole record, song by song, is number one. People are paying attention to him, and he's using that influence to talk about Jesus. So, who are some people that you can think about, whether it be sports, politics, economy, Wherever it is, you know, even in the evangelical world, what anybody else y'all can think of? Chip and Joanne. Chip and Joanne. Elton John. Christian Ronaldo. LeBron James, Christian Ronaldo, soccer player. Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. I mean, what if? What if Oprah? Yeah, Oprah. There can't possibly be one way. She said, right. When somebody stood up in her audience and said, Jesus is the way, and Oprah said, there can't possibly be one way. She said that. What if? Boom. Tom Cruise, Justin Timberlake. Now, a lot of the people that you're mentioning are Christians. But but it's like they're playing the culture game. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to make a statement one way or the other. All I'm wanting to do is you think about what would the world look like, our nation look like, if those people were as radical with their faith. And it, doesn't, it wouldn't take much. You know what it would take? It would take them to say, I don't really care about what's going to do to my career. Because that's with Kanye. You know, that's what people came to him and said, this is going to kill your career if you do this. Well, it, it's, it's stronger than ever. His family is healthier than ever. He's, the man just bought 4,000 acres in Wyoming. That's incredible. You know, I mean, I just, like, that's what I've, that's what I've, I've just sitting thinking about this. Now, what, what if these just giant popular people were that radical? That would be a good thing, right? It could happen. I mean, what, what, what if just individuals, right? We, we look at radicals and we think, man, you need to simmer down now a little bit. You're making me feel bad about myself, you know? But what if? I just, I just kind of wanted to pull our thinking and expectation up a little bit. What if? What if? And so the people that came to your mind, pray for them. Well, I don't understand how prayer... Well, pray in tongues for them, and then you let God deal with the details. What am I supposed to pray? Just pray in tongues. God will figure out the rest, right? That's what that's for anyway. You're using your God-given mankind authority on this planet, your voice that impacts all of the material created world, and you let God piggyback on that and His influence and watch what happens. You don't pray in tongues? I don't think that's real. Well, okay, then, you know, whatever. I'm not going to sit here and make you run up to the altar and do it, but ask God about it. 
In fact, we've got a blog on our website about the baptism of the Spirit that was written by Jim Richards, my pastor, uh, forward.church. Go read it. Go take some time to read it. It's very, it's very good. Um, in fact, I'm going to preach another sermon about it right now. Y'all ready? Here we go. Anyway, I don't. I, that, that, those are the things that are on my heart right now. Expect people to actually be bold for Jesus and use it as excitement for yourself and a witness for yourself to what does it look like for you to move in that direction as well, right? But it comes out of your own personal experience, so where are you with experiencing that intimacy with Him right now? It's, it's, all, it's like a big circle, right? Sound good? Amen? You got something out of that? Think about one thing you're getting out of it and taking home. You got it? What's yours? <laughs> thank you father so much for the gospel thank you for your spirit thank you for loving us jesus we thank you for your sacrifice for us god it's a marvel it's a miracle it's amazing that you trust us to represent you and we want to do it well and it's not from a place of trying to convince people all we are doing is declaring your victory you have already won in that eternal dimension. Every enemy that has ever come against you has been defeated. And that victory is just rippling back into every other aspect of creation and ultimately will fully experience your victory. Father, we just want to be participants of announcing that victory even in this dimension. Talking about Jesus, helping people turn their hearts towards you because we actually trust that the gospel is powerful. We actually trust that your spirit can transform someone. And we don't have anything to do with it other than being an example and telling them what the gospel actually is, what Jesus did for them. I am willing. Just say, I'm willing to represent you, Lord, with the good news. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. And thank you to those of you who support Forward Ministries financially. You truly are changing the way the world sees God. You're helping people detox from performance-based religion and experience God's love for them. We're committed to helping you renew your mind so you'll experience transformation and move forward in every area of your life. I pray you're making this hard journey. Visit my website at clintbyers.com for hundreds of free teachings and articles that will empower you to renew your mind and put on your eternal identity in Christ. I'm especially excited about my tools for transformation that have original music and modern technology designed to help you slow down and connect with the Spirit of God in your heart. I'd like to invite you to partner with Forward Ministries. Help us continue to spread the gospel and develop resources that are empowering people to grow in their identity in Christ. Thank you again for joining me. I pray God's blessings and promises over you and your family today.